0: Oh, so our company has uh, certain perks. If you hit the five-year mark, you get a little pin that you uh-huh. put on your your lanyard. Uh-huh. Uh huh. At the ten-year mark, I think it's a more beautiful pin. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, listeners of B-side. It is Hudgeon back at it again here with Ryan Park today. Hi, Ryan.
0: Hi, Hudgein. Hello, How- listeners. <laughs>
1: um, Ryan, Ryan, we 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 gotta ask, what is your hot take?
0: My hot take is that Maryland drivers do it better.
1: Wow. Bold claim. Why, why do you say that?
0: So if everyone could just you know put down their torches and pitchforks for just a minute, uh, I would say <laughs> that um, having lived in both states, I've had plenty of time to observe drivers in both states. And uh, I understand that here in Virginia, Maryland drivers have a very bad reputation. That, all that being said, uh, Maryland drivers generally drive like they have somewhere to be. They're attentive, they're ambitious, and they drive with conviction. And so these are all very diplomatic ways to describe Maryland drivers. Um, and then I'll leave it to every Virginia resident here to pick a lot more worse words and worse phrases to use about Maryland drivers.
1: Oh, so, so what, what words would you use to describe Virginia drivers?
0: Virginia drivers, well, I can't use single words. Right. Well, <laughs> uh, okay. So Virginia drivers drive like they are lost despite being in their own state. (laughs) Virginia drivers drive consistently below the speed limit. um, Safe, to be sure, if I'm going to affirm anything in them. Um, However, perhaps safe to a fault as if they have nowhere to be, as if they're not already running late.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I recently moved to Maryland, and for me, it's like the opposite, where every time I encounter a Maryland driver, I'm like, oh my goodness, like they are driving so dangerously. Mm -hmm. But... Oh, that's so interesting. I definitely am someone who disagrees with your hot take, but that's why it's, it's hot. okay. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> it's
0: a hot take, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no. Because on the beltway and stuff, or mm-hmm. on just highways in general, there are people tailgating me. And I look mm-hmm. in my rearview mirror, they're like so close. Mm-hmm. I look at my speed, I'm still going like 20 over. And they're still like zooming by me. And I'm like, dang.
0: Yeah. I think uh, if you, one more thing to know about Maryland drivers is that there are many different kinds of Maryland drivers. Mm-hmm. Virginia drivers are most familiar with the Beltway Marylanders who are probably... That's true. In the You know, from the perspective of someone who's from Maryland, Beltway Marylanders are probably the worst drivers that we have. Uh, drivers who are more towards Baltimore, drivers who are more towards Frederick, they're fast and ambitious, but they aren't quite as mean. Oh.
1: So they're prudent.
0: They're on you know they're on point they're attentive and you know that that's these uh cherished drivers are the ones who i'm thinking of when i when i think of the maryland driver i also hate beltway marylanders as well 495 marylanders okay okay
1: yeah Yeah, huh i'll like keep more of an eye out when i'm on the like when i'm in my neighborhood and stuff like that but yeah man as of right now i'm like i don't know dude but Like you said, that's why it's a hot take. We'll see what our listeners think as well. and Maybe (laughs) someone will approach you in person at church.
0: Yeah. Or maybe I'll see them on the highway.
1: (laughs) True, true. Ryan, do you consider yourself a foodie?
0: Foodie is a term that was in my mind, like, sort of used as a pejorative. You would call somebody foodie if you want to get under the skin. And so I would be – I was very reluctant to consider myself a foodie. Uh-huh. And so that reluctance continues on to this day. So to make a long answer short, I guess so. I guess I am a foodie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've spent a lot of time developing my palate and, you know, getting to understand what I like and what I don't like without the kind of smug detachment of, you know, the man I was in college where – as long as it wasn't toxic or anything close to lethal, I'll, you know, be able to consume and, and live for the next day. You know? Gotcha,
1: gotcha. I asked that because I was going to ask, like, if you had to eat the same meal
0: mm-hmm. at
1: least once a day, yeah. like whether it's brec- at breakfast, lunch, or dinner, mm-hmm. what would it be?
0: Mm. The same meal every day. Okay. My answer for that would be huedoppa.
1: Oh.
0: Nutritious, you know, delicious raw fish. Um you know, balanced. Right? Yeah, yeah. Second answer might have been uh huh, which is a kind of a Busan area specialty. However, if I were to eat that every day, there might be some, you know, very bad repercussions to that long term. Right, and By long term, right. I, I mean for any, any ter- amount of period, period of time longer than a week or two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True. For those of you guys who don't know, like, 회덜 is, I mean, like a, would you say, Korean version of poke bowl? Kind of.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it.
1: And then, doenjang-gukbap is like um, just a rich, like thicker soup, like mm-hmm. broth with like pork in it. Um, you you normally put salt and pepper according to your taste and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and eat it with rice and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's a very hearty broth. Um, contains pork and perhaps other parts of the animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, rice, of course. Sometimes noodles. Sometimes vegetables. Sometimes. Right, right. These- Various different kinds of pastes and uh, scallions and other things that just make it all in all uh, a good choice for a meal at any time of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. All righty. So, you know, I heard that you aren't from Nova. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So where in
0: Maryland did you grow up? I grew up in Elcott City, Maryland.
1: Okay. How was that for you?
0: Uh, Ellicott City is a very comfortable suburb. And so I went to school, in you know, very comfortable conditions. Uh, I, looking back on my life, I could say that it was a very pri- privileged life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I had a very, I, in my opinion, the the quality of the education was very good. Yeah, dedicated teachers. Um, I students that aspire to really achieve and do the best with uh, what they had. And I, well, people got along. You know, they had fun. Uh, they tried hard in school, and basically everybody stayed out of the trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is like your favorite or like um, most vivid, I guess, childhood memory? Like, if I ask like childhood memory, what's like the first thing that comes to your mind?
0: Childhood memory. Well, does graduating high school count?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, I'm 18, so that's right at the cusp <laughs> of not being a child anymore. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should get another answer. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. Tell me about it. What, mm-hmm. what made it, you know, very memorable like that?
0: Um, so high school itself was a very big turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. That's when I first started to believe in Jesus. Oh, okay. um, that's when I made some of the closest friends I have in life. And that was shortly after moving from one part of Ellicott City to another. And so I had to start from zero, socially speaking, um, mm-hmm. at the age of like 14, 15, which is pretty difficult for a teenager to do had to make friends all over again. And the four years that represented, you know, my time in high school was me picking up new hobbies, me making some of the closest friends in my life, you know, friends whose weddings I would attend, uh, who I would be around when they had their children. Um, and that entire period of life ending for me and going into the four years of college and, you know, the many, many years after college represented a major turning point in my life. Um, In many ways, like the end of what you would be able to call my childhood.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I want to kind of go back to, you know, when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, like, did you grow up in church? Or was that something, you know, very new for you?
0: So... I could say in one way that I grew up in church. Um, my parents attended church at the time I was born, and I followed them to church, uh, maybe until I was in kindergarten or first grade, mm-hmm. somewhere around that time. It's a Korean language church, and I'm a little kid. I don't understand any of the right. what's being said from the pulpit, so... My some early memories from childhood are me, you know, squirming around in the pew, <laughs> trying not to be too bored. Right. And then just kind of looking around the, the sanctuary.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: again, trying not to bother my parents too much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And eventually we all stopped going to church. And so by the time I actually grew up into, you know, to an age where I could really grasp uh, the gospel, uh, by that time I was I was not going to church. So no. Uh yes and no, I guess would be the answer to that question. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it's like a mixture. Oh, so like mm-hmm. there wasn't like a particular children's ministry or like like um opportunity for you to kind of like hear the gospel when you were at a younger age, right?
0: Uh nothing from an institutional standpoint. Right. So the main Christian influences in my life were the other family members who still attended church at the time.
1: Yeah. Oh, and who so, who were they?
0: Yeah, so my family background, the my dad's side of the family, they were the more Christian side of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather on that side uh, became a Christian. And he was, you know, very deep in his devotion. And that was the devotion and the faith that he raised his own children with. And on my mother's side of the family, they come from a more Buddhist background. And oh, so okay. we do what in Korean is called 재사 and other very different cultural practices, uh yet still Korean mm-hmm. uh, from you know the kind of lifestyle that was present in my father's side.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chezha is when like there is a particular time like a you celebrate the anniversary of like your ancestor's death. Yeah. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Um so it's it's a bit of a memorial Service, I Mm -hmm. guess, is what you would call it. Uh, The interesting thing about my family is my father's side of the family also had their own particular form of chaesa. So they took many of the objectionable elements of the practice from Korean culture. uh, They kind of purged all that out and retained the memorial aspect of it. I see. So it would be an occasion for us all to get together, remember our loved ones who are gone. And then enjoy a meal together. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So did you feel any like tension or, I don't know if tension is the right word, but you know, Mm -hmm. any kind of difference between like mom's side, dad's side, or just within mom and dad while growing up, like having different religious backgrounds and things like that?
0: Right. So there was tension in the family. And uh, that was basically the reason why we stopped attending church. Mm -hmm. So there was, long story short, a bit of a, disconnect in terms of worldview and there was a lot of pressure for my mom to continue serving more and more in church especially from her in-laws it eventually reached the boiling point she stopped attending mm-hmm. and then me and my bro- my older brother we were you know dragged to church with my dad as young children we probably complained and whined about it a lot eventually my mom must have at some point must have gotten my dad to stop taking me and my brother And so eventually my dad was on his own at church and people uh, would innocently ask, hey, uh, you're here on your own. How are your wife and kids? You know, where are they at? And my dad, this is all me speculating. um, My father must have grown tired of answering that all the time. And so eventually he stopped going.
1: So, okay, gotcha. So it was kind of like a natural dwindling of that.
0: Yeah, so that was the tension that sort of brought me out of the church environment yeah, as, a, yeah. as a young kid. Mm-hmm. If you
1: don't mind me asking, like, are they believers right, like today in the present day?
0: Uh, Short answer is no. Mm-hmm. I think my father would say he's a believer, but, you know, attending church and spiritual matters are very much not a priority for him.
1: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Despite all that, though, I fe- I'm i like – I feel very, I don't know, like grateful that you're such an involved member at our church. I don't know if mm-hmm. – um, some listeners may know, but like Ryan and I were in the same CG this past year. So I got to know him like a little bit better um, and he like served us uh, – served us brothers and sisters really well in- during CG. And so, yeah. How – could I ask then like how – despite all that tension – And maybe that, like, um, kind of dwindling away from church, like, as a family, Mm -hmm. um, how did you become a Christian? Like, how did you get back into it?
0: Okay. So, all along in the background, it did have Christian family members who would mention church, uh, maybe even get as intentional as, like, trying to teach me a little bit here and there about what the Bible teaches and and things like that. So, that's in the background. Um, And then... In sophomore year of high school, I pick up a new hobby, uh, breakdancing, you know, where people spin on their heads oh, and
1: snap! you know, dance,
0: you know like there's hip hop music playing and people are having fun and yeah, things like yeah. that, right? Uh, I started attending a breakdance club in my high school because, uh, you know, it was high school. I had almost no friends. I was in search of friends. I wanted to make some friends. In ninth grade, I made like a couple friends and I followed those two guys to the breakdance club. Mm-hmm. And so this was 10th grade, having worked as hard as I could to make about two or three friends. And uh, here here we all are, you know, all being absolutely terrible at dancing together. But, you know, we're all together. <laughs> and eventually these friends, uh, some of them from the breakdance club, they go to Friday night youth group services
1: oh, at the church
0: I yeah, went to yeah. back when I lived in Maryland. And I grew up a well-behaved kid if some if an adult was talking in the front of the room, I would shut my mouth and, you know, pay attention to what they were saying. And so this was true for the Friday night youth group services where the pastor would, you know, preach from the word. And, you know, I went one time, I sat down and learned, and we hung out, uh, the youth group did, just kind of after service, killing time until uh, all the students' parents will come and pick them up. And, you know, Friday night, my first Friday night at that church was, you know, it was all in all a good time. And I wanted to keep on g- going out because it was better than just being bored at home on Friday night. And also, there was a girl there that I liked. So, <laughs> you know, if I could just be honest about how 15 year old Ryan, you know, perceived <laughs> and thought about life, you know, there was a yeah, girl there yeah. that I liked and I kept on going out there just, you know, oh, is she going to be there tonight? Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe she will be there. Yeah. But these, these were, you know, simultaneous priorities of mine. I wanted to understand what it is that these Christians believe. I was genuinely curious and also there's that cute girl. So yeah. <laughs> and my friends, and of course there's my friends. I can't forget about them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, what was would what would you say would be the turning point then? You mm-hmm. know, like you're going because the friends introduced you, yeah. you're interested, there's also this girl, but then what, <laughs> but then, you know, what's that moment where mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, snap, like I believe this. You mm-hmm. know, this is for me." Like mm-hmm when was that
0: so if i would describe my own uh journey into belief from out of from out of unbelief mm-hmm. it would be more like watching the sun rise. for some other believers it might be a flash of lightning but for me it was a slow journey into simply understanding the content of the bible mm-hmm. um continuously asking the question to myself what did it what it what did, what is it that this book says, or what do the Christians believe on this topic, right? And then there was a transition that took place over a number of months uh, from when I first started attending Sunday Sunday services as a junior in in high school. And month after month after month of continual attendance, my question went from what do the Christians believe, what do they believe, to what do we believe, what do I believe, right? And so I felt my heart slowly being turned over from unbelief to belief as there was a cohesive message being taught to me just from faithful attendance, right? Just from being there, just from absorbing what it is, just from having the gospel presented to me uh, as if I were smart enough to receive it. So eventually uh the gospel does sink in if god prepares the soil uh even through the thick skulls of teenage boys so and the turning point if that if i could narrow it down to one single turning point Mm -hmm. it would be my very first church retreat as a youth retreat oh yes yes and people turn into very different versions of themselves suddenly they're very spiritual very concerned about their spiritual lives and uh I found that encouraging because, you know, my goofy peers suddenly were very concerned about, oh, am I safe? Are my parents saved? Right. And they had a very profound side to them. Yeah. If you could actually peel away all those other uh, defensive layers of them, right? They don't want to be so vulnerable all the time. But finally, you massaged their hearts into saying, okay, these are the things that really do matter to me, right? And we're all worshiping, we're all singing very long, you know, for an hour, 45 yeah. minutes, you know, for a very long time. And I think at some point there was uh, a moment where I turned for myself, like, yeah, I, I believe, you know, like I'm going to co- fully commit myself to belief and, you know, reaching out and believing in Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a turning point. And then I think from then on, I really did take it upon myself to, you know, do my best to read the Bible for myself and to learn and take a more active role into, you know, forming my beliefs before it was all spoon fed to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think by the grace of God, he lit the fire in my heart. And I began to really delight in reading, reading the Bible and learning.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. you were able to take that initiative yourself.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. certainly by the grace of God, that's for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Man, I love that. I love how like your analogy of watching the sunrise. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy. And I also love how it became a them thing mm-hmm. to uh, us and we and like, you know, it became something personal rather mm-hmm. than something you were looking at from the outside. Right. Um, And so... Talking about like active roles, you are currently a deacon at our church, right? That's correct. Yeah. When was that? When did that happen?
0: Okay, so I became a deacon in 2017. I remember very well because I was, you know, installed ordained and installed as a deacon on Father's Day.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And you know, to my very to my delight, my parents and my brother they all came down from Maryland to my ordination service. Yeah. Um, and it was yeah, you know. To venture off to the side a little bit, it was very touching to see them all, you know, participating in the worship service. Yeah. You know, it was very like, it hit me deep to the core. But getting back to the question, I started in 2017 after a nine-month training process and an interview. With oh, the wow, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: If you don't mind me asking, listeners, you guys can do the math on your own. How old were you <laughs> when you got ordained?
0: Yes, Uh, I was ordained uh, at the age of 25. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was 25. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) There isn't much to say about that. Yeah, I was 25
0: years old. True, Mm -hmm.
1: true. Um, That's kind of, yeah, because like for me, like my stereotypical view of like deacon ordination, that's kind of like a young age. Like how did you feel about that? Did you feel any particular way about it or were you – like yeah, I guess that's my question.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I felt the same way. Okay, um, twenty five is pretty young. Uh, when it in the grand scheme of like how many deacons I know and what age those people are, mm-hmm. um, I was very humble to be considered for the role, and maybe there was a a grain of uncertainty inside of my own heart as to how, you know, my service in this role would would go. But I think I determined not to dwell too hard on that mm-hmm. and to proceed in faith because I'm not working and serving as a deacon on my own. I have other deacons and deaconesses who went through the training with me who I got to know quite well. And if there's any help that I need, I know so many people are within arm's reach. They're accessible with the touch of a button. You know, I can call them or I can just speak with them on on Sunday, or I can even bring up uh, any concern of mine that I have at one of our regular meetings with the deacon board. So maybe a little bit unsure, but not altogether afraid or anything like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Um, How would you... Are there such things as like sabbaticals and whatnot in the deacon position?
0: Yeah, so... The sabbatical policy that uh, our church has for their deacons is: um, after two years of service, uh, every deacon or deaconess qualifies to enter a sabbatical for one ministry year. Oh, okay. Uh, without being forced into a sabbatical, mm-hmm. so after two years of serving, a deacon or deaconess can can you know opt to continue to serve for a third year, fourth year, fifth year, and if I'm not mistaken, at any time, they can say, oh, I would like to enter my sabbatical. Right. Yeah. So I am currently on the tail end of my own sabbatical. Oh, okay. Uh, and the reason I was able to, you know, attend CG with you um, was I was no longer, for the sabbatical year, I was no longer obliged to lead a CG or assist in leading a CG in some way. I could actually be a normal attendee of a community group.
1: Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so were having been on your sabbatical this year from serving, um, what were some areas you were able to grow in during that time off?
0: So I definitely got the rest and refreshment of being freed from a lot of obligations right, that the right. deacons have in, in serving. I, I, I definitely got I'm definitely ready to get back into things. Yeah. And to get back into leading CG, get back into all the various roles and in, in church that I I took a break, a one year break from, and I also got to see how other CGs operate. Um, and being I attended Eric CG for the past minister year, Woo. and <laughs> okay, there he <laughs> is. Yep. Uh, and. In choosing Eric CG, my goal was to observe how other leaders would do things, and um, with this particular window of opportunity, uh, I wanted to go see how Eric does things. Uh, people seem to really like Eric CG, and I would want you know I would want I wanted to get a fuller grasp on what made it so. What's the word for it? Successful, yeah. maybe perhaps uh, yeah. why it was so cherished, you know.
1: Yeah. So how did he do? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys can talk about that on a later time if you want, yeah. but.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe off the record.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, how or I guess what are you most excited about getting back into?
0: I'm actually excited to get back into leading my own CG. Hey.
1: Yeah. yeah, um, yeah.
0: With my own particular personality and, you know, my own strengths, I think leading a discussion and, you know, kind of being there as someone to rely on as a leader is a a really, is a really good way for me to contribute and edify, um, you know, our brethren in the church and perhaps any unbeliever that might come along. I personally came from unbelief. And so for anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ right now, to maybe a certain extent, I can, I can sympathize with them.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So regarding, like, I guess this is more of a logistically related mm-hmm. question, but like becoming a deacon, like does someone approach you or do you show interest when they announce there's trainings or like what what kind of goes into all that?
0: OK, so here's how it happens. Tell uh, us, tell us the, <laughs>
1: <laughs> tell us the, the, um, what is that called? Behind the scenes? Yeah, or, have a yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> OK, OK.
0: Um, so during a congregational meeting that the church has. They form a nomination committee and the the nomination committee will meet and they'll, you know, put together a list of names of potential deacon or deaconess candidates that they would like to approach. Later on, those candidates are asked if they would like to start the training, if they would like to participate in the training to one day become a deacon or deaconess. And then. That training begins at the beginning of a ministry year goes you know through the fall through the winter through the spring, and culminates with an interview with the session or two members from the session at least uh, that's when they do a final check on you making sure everything's all right with you, making sure if you have any exception to the doctrinal standards of the denomination that they are aware of it mm-hmm. and Eventually, the session will convene and they will, you know, approve candidates for entry into the deacon board. And then the candidates will be presented at a congregational meeting for a vote. Um, they'll be voted in. And it's not a it's not a political election in any kind of way. It's just right. a we approve this guy. We approve that. There's no one running against the other person there. Mm-hmm. So we definitely want more deacons and deaconesses, not you know, any less than the number of candidates that were in a given batch. And so, candidates are voted in, and then another service is set later for their ordination and installation.
1: Oh, Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like, it kind of sounds like a very in-depth, kind of like very serious you know like you have to Mm -hmm. think about a lot of things and reflect and it's not just like hey you want to do it like yeah let's do it like
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah as you might be able to see that it's 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 a very intentional process you know yeah yeah very much designed against uh impulse whims Mm -hmm. things of that nature yeah
1: yeah yeah. which you know it's very good it's very needed you know um So I'm going to actually go way back into our conversation because Mm -hmm. this kind of stuck with me as a fellow. I don't know if I consider myself like a dancer anymore, Mm -hmm. but fellow (laughs) person who likes to dance. Mm -hmm. You were talking about b-boying and stuff like that in high school. Are you still doing that nowadays?
0: I do. Um, Much to my, much to the disappointment to my parents (laughs) who would like me to stop, you know. But yeah, yeah. It's something I do take a delight in. Um, It's something that I think is. Fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a good way to stay active. Why why
1: do your parents kind of have a disapproving kind of stance to it?
0: Okay. Maybe it was a little bit overstated, but definitely uh, while I was still a student, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the preparation and build up for college admission, they're like, well, hey, Ryan, you should kind of, you should kind of like focus more (laughs) on your studies, right? Even when my grades weren't really suffering all that bad. I see. And then I make it into college. I'm in a pretty, you know, difficult major, aerospace Mm. engineering. I'm an aerospace engineering major. And they're like, hey, uh, Ryan, you should focus on your studies. You want to like, you know, tone down (laughs) to dancing a little bit, like focus on your studies a little bit. I'm like, okay, no, no, no. I'll show you that I can get some, you know, good grades while not quitting that, you know, while not quitting one of the few things that makes life fun. Yeah. So I show them, (laughs) (laughs) get my job. And, um, you know, for a while, they don't have really much much to say anymore. And now that I've gotten a little bit old, now that some time has elapsed, they're saying, hey, Ryan, aren't you getting a little like, too old for this? <laughs> you <know? So
1: laughs> are you, do you think you are, though? Are you getting too old for this?
0: No, I don't think oh, I'm getting too old for snap. this. Yeah. I think, well, I, being in that world, uh, you see a lot of people who are older than you who are still going at it. And I think... There are better solutions to the effects of old age than just, other than just quitting. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make a few changes here and there. You can actually apply a little bit of your brain and still have some fun without completely obliterating your joints.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what in your eyes makes someone like a good, what differentiates like a good breakdancer versus like, Maybe average or not so good.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the most important rules for this kind of dancing is uh, is you're having fun,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're original, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's in that culture we really value those things, and obviously just being good at it, right? Yeah, being yeah. athletic enough to move and being flexible enough to hit moves and being able to learn a lot of different kinds of movements that are that are in that dance, right. But all in all, the whole package is you're having fun, you're original. And then we the people who are looking at you are also having fun and connecting with you on sort of a very emotional, mental, spiritual level, you know? Yeah, Yeah. we're really feeling you, you know? Yep. Yep. mm -hmm.
1: OK, so it's kind of like no matter how technically skilled you may be, mm-hmm. if it doesn't seem like, you know, you're having fun and you're in that moment, you might get like watch viewers might kind of get bored or might be like, oh, they're they're OK mm-hmm. or like they're whatever.
0: I think first impressions are like, whoa, that's amazing. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then after, you know, seeing that particular dance go out, maybe, you know, the third time, fourth time, fifth time, it gets kind of boring mm-hmm. if they're not, you know, evidently having fun. Mm -hmm. You can be the most athletic and flexible and all this and that. But if you're not dancing in a way that strikes the heart, then, you know, I'm falling asleep. Everyone's falling asleep. Even if you're really, you know, good otherwise. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. All right. So I don't know if you guys, the listeners, you guys remember, but Chuno in our first episode of this season was very freaked out by Eric's... um, was that research like <laughs> in-depth researching skills but mm-hmm. you know ryan we have a clip from 2010,
0: 2010 okay.
1: yeah of you as a dancer
0: that's a, lo- that's a long time ago <laughs> okay it yeah. is a
1: long time ago but compared to then and now you know do you think you've improved since then
0: oh yeah definitely <laughs>
1: yeah yeah what in where do you think you have improved and that you could like For sure, say there's a noticeable difference. Mm
0: -hmm. So I got stronger. (laughs) I I learned more moves. Um, I got more comfortable with dancing and being in uncomfortable situations. I think. Oh, yeah. It's it's very performative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We like to pretend that, well, we like to treasure the individuality of it, that we're really dancing more for ourselves. But. When we're at an event where we're having fun with other people, we are putting on performance for everybody involved. Yeah. For ourselves and also for everyone else who wants to have fun with us, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that sort of performative aspect is um to anybody who's not familiar with it, very anxiety inducing. hmm You could be very nervous. You could seize up. Uh you could feel your muscles getting tense and like sweat coming on your coming out of your palms. Yeah. So um as I've you know become more an experienced dancer as 13 years have gone by between now and then. Yeah. Um hopefully I, yeah I have gotten better. I really hope I have. <laughs> <laughs> so just mentally, athletically and even more with the relationship between music and my own body. Yeah. I've become better uh, I think the rela- that relationship has strengthened.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like your showmanship and stuff. Like mm-hmm. through experience, you know, those things kind of become easier and you become more comfortable right. like coming out of your shell in that performative aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, when you danced in college or in high school and college with that group, mm-hmm. were they more like American geared or Asian American geared or was it just a good mix of diversity or like how was that?
0: Mm-hmm. So in high school... Most of us were uh, Korean or Chinese. Uh, There were two or three African-Americans, one Mm Indian-American. And so that was the kind of demographic makeup. Uh, In college, I got to see some more white Americans there. Yeah. And then more Indian-Americans, different kinds of what we would call Asian-American, as in Chinese, Japanese. Taiwanese and such.
1: Yeah, I asked that because I wanted to ask if there's any like noticeable difference to you mm-hmm. or you know just like stylistic things mm-hmm. that are different from American versus Korean or even like Asian American versus white American versus uh, mm-hmm. someone yeah, like I w- want to know if there's differences <laughs> that you see.
0: Mm-hmm. Um to put it concisely, uh Asian American dancers, uh people who are born in Asia in that and that's what I mean by that. Uh-huh. Um, they tend to be more focused on a lot of the athletic moves. Right. Um, you, you know, the listeners, you can look this up, go on YouTube and type in flares or windmills, air flares. Uh, they'll be really good at learning these, you know, gymnastics-esque moves. Okay, They'll be very focused at practice and they'll just r- drill it over and over and over again. Um, American dancers or dancers who grew up in America, they'll tend to prioritize having fun with the music more. I see. You know, a lot of songs are in the English language, right? Mm -hmm. And so people who grew up in America, they understand the English. They can play around with the music just a little bit more. They can really appreciate that aspect more. And so an effect of that is they're just more expressive.
1: I see, I see. They
0: they have a little bit more fun. And so within the b-boy world, I, I think an ongoing observation is all these other dancers from all around the world you know, they're very competent, they're very athletic, they learn all these moves. And Americans, if at all, they don't they fall behind in those aspects. But one thing we'll always have over them is we like the music more. You know? I
1: see. True, true. Is I mean, you know how you're like, you know, compared to 2010, mm-hmm. I'm definitely slash, you know, hopefully better now, but is age starting to catch up at all?
0: Um, it's less the age and more uh me gaining weight. <laughs> so you know, I cook for a lot uh, for myself at home since I work from home.
1: Uh-huh. And so
0: I might be get I might be eating a little bit too well for myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I won't blame age just yet. Um, I think it's more of a general physical fitness thing.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: I, I think it's best for me to lose a little bit of weight for the sake of my joints. And from an age perspective, it doesn't get any easier as time goes on. Mm. So the way that I'm at right now is not the way that I should be at. (laughs) If I wanna continue to enjoy dancing for a long time, I need to take good care of myself.
1: Okay. True, true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Ryan, I didn't know you were an aerospace engineer.
0: Yeah, I I guess it's not quite the conversation starter. Uh, Hey, did you know I'm an aerospace engineer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I won't take the initiative of introducing myself in that way. Um, mostly when we go around, when people go around, uh, inevitably the conversation topic will shift to, hey, so what do you do for work, right? It doesn't happen all the time. And I'm, you know, perfectly happy talking about virtually anything else. Not that, yeah. I, hate, not that I hate my job, but. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just because, like, I've known you here in here and there, like, slightly before CG and mm-hmm. then during our time at CG, it's like, I feel like it should have come up in some conversation, but it hasn't <laughs> at all, so I'm sitting here like, dude, you were an aerospace engineer? Like, what? Like, aerospace engineer b-boy, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, what?
0: yeah,
1: um, Do you like it? How do you like it?
0: Uh, I think it's cool. Um, airplanes, spacecraft, rockets uh, speak to a very uh, common aspect of a lot of you know, young men's hearts, right? Wow, that stuff's cool. Big big old metal (laughs) thing moving through the sky, right? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, all in all, my job's cool. Um, And as with, you know, people in any kind of profession, if you're in it long enough, you can find something to complain about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with me and my job, I can always take a step back and really appreciate, you know, some of the cool stuff that I'm doing. And um, that helps me kind of, Get back to get back into the weeds and deal with, you know, the problem that I've I've been banging my head against for the last 15 minutes or so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What's like. So, like, I'm sorry. I don't know anything about aerospace engineering. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) What is like the most. I don't know if fun is the right word Mm -hmm. or maybe like most like fulfilling or kind of project that you had.
0: Let's see. So. If you're asking about a fulfilling aspect of the job, it's all in all the victory against the force of gravity.
1: Oh, right!
0: You got this big, you know, hunk of metal wing thousands of pounds off the ground um, by either pushing air over a wing or with rockets or of some sort, and that's very fulfilling. Um, to get more broad, to get a little bit broader than that. It's the idea of taking something from a screen, a piece of paper, from, very, from a very abstract medium even,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and watching it take form in front of you, or at least watching the pictures of it happening, right? Yeah. You designed that part. Some other people get paid to make it, and other people get made to, uh, get paid to you know, assemble it all together. They get pay- paid to turn the screws and weld and things of that nature, you get to see something that exists in real life and does things for actual customers, right? And if I were to choose a specific project that I found particularly fulfilling, it would be this one research project for NASA. So NASA had this hyper-optimized design for an airplane wing Mm -hmm. using very revolutionary techniques uh, where they take carbon fiber and they direct the fibers with um, something that's not too dissimilar from those whiteout applicators. Yeah. The roller types. Yeah. So the technology exists where we can lay down fibers of carbon fiber, lay down carbon fiber uh-huh, and apply it just like whiteout. Whoa. And, you know, some other... Grad students at a college far away, um, they design this, you know, with their computers, they design the best possible wing and they want to design it for to hit certain kinds of milestones and benchmarks and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And my company was approached to actually manufacture the wing.
1: Oh, we had the we
0: had the equipment to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was you know, one of the handful of designers uh, brought onto the team to actually make sure we can make those skins and we can make all the underlying structure for them. So there you have it.
1: Yeah, you guys can't see my face right now, but I'm like mouth open. Like, oh, my gosh, like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's that's really cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm going to. So Eric gave me permission to steal his thunder, but I'm really not going to. He's over here on the side saying like, hey, Ryan, funny that in both your job and your hobbies, you're defying gravity. I thought that was a really fun comment. So I have to say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that is pretty fun. I think I can confirm. It's quite fun. (laughs) I don't know what I'm supposed to say to that, but okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey,
1: Hey, it's, it's Eric's comment, not mine. So mm-hmm. <laughs> throwing it all back to Eric. <laughs> um, okay. Is it, is it long hours or is it just a regular kind of nine to five Monday mm-hmm. through Friday kind of thing or.
0: uh, So long as everything's working normally uh, we have normal working hours and that's I could say upwards of 90% of the time. Uh, There might be certain urgent situations, scenarios in which we have to put in some overtime work. Yeah. Uh, But I'm very thankful that I can have very sensible hours, that I can have time in the day for anything else I want to achieve other than, you know, being at my job. Mm -hmm. And that empowers me to have enough morale to face the next day of work.
1: (sighs) Yeah, yeah. Right.
0: The next week of work, the next year of work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you start right after undergrad? Like, did you just go straight into the work field?
0: Yeah. Um, graduated in May of 2014. Started this job in July of
1: 2014. Oh, snap. Yeah. yeah.
0: And at that time, the job market wasn't very great for aerospace grads, mm-hmm. as far as I could tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the choice between accepting a co-op in Aberdeen, Maryland, or between or choosing the job I have now in Manassas, Virginia.
1: Oh okay. So you've been there since then. Like yep. the same company. Same, same
0: company. Yep. Nine oh, years.
1: Oh wow. Yep. Wow. In
0: fact, my first day of work was July 14th, uh, twenty
1: fourteen. Oh. So like that nine year mark just passed. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you plan on staying or is I mean, I don't know, is that mm-hmm. something that you plan you can plan, I guess? I don't know yeah. how. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, I plan on staying. Unless there's some other situation or you know something else that would oblige me to move. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I like the job that I have now. I like the company that I'm at right now. Uh, I'm perfectly content continuing to work where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you get like a gift or something for year ten?
0: Oh, so our company has uh, certain perks. If you hit the five year mark, you get a little pin that you can uh-huh. put on your your lanyard. Uh-huh. Uh huh. At the ten year mark, I think it's a. More beautiful pin. <laughs> um, uh, obviously like what they give you. Okay. So for the first year, first completed year of work, it's a jacket. You oh. get an roll. you get a company jacket.
1: Uh-huh. You
0: know, it's quite weatherproof. It's very good, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, good um, quality. Yeah,
0: yeah. Before it used to be like a bomber jacket, but that kind of kind of out of style. So they switched mm-hmm. to a little bit m- more of a modern design. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think at the 5 year, 10 year, 15 year, 20 year, 30 year uh those milestones uh, you get progressively better looking pins if I'm not mistaken.
1: So do you have do you collect those or do you have to return your pin for the better one?
0: Oh no, you you can keep the previous yeah. pin, yeah.
1: Do people wear them at work like and you see them and you know like oh that dude's been here for <laughs> like 15 years?
0: Um well, typically when someone's been around for that long, you already know their face. So you're not looking at the pin. Uh. um, I do wear my pin that I got four years ago at the five year mark. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, I work from home. Who's gonna look li- who's gonna see <laughs> it other than myself? <laughs> oh, right?
1: that's true. That's yeah. true. I forgot about that. So, right? you know,
0: the one day I'll like the one day I'll frolic into the office, I'll show my pin off to everybody who will proceed not to notice it. So yeah. <laughs>
1: do you Do you wish there was something better for the five, ten, fifteen year marks than a pin and a more beautiful pin?
0: <laughs> um, that was not at the top of my list of priorities, you know um, the job you know the job is cool, the compensation for it is cool uh at the ten and fifteen year marks, you get changes in benefits. I think on a practical level, that's what I'm more excited about.
1: Gotcha, you know? yeah. okay. Um, You mentioned you have an older brother, right? Yes. Is it just the two of you?
0: Yes. He's four years older than me.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Does he also do stuff like this? Like engineering?
0: No. Um, He doesn't have an aerospace engineering job. He's had different lines of work. He was second in charge for a golf course, a really good one, uh, oh. for a long time before making a career switch into a, a software engineering job. Oh, okay. So he works in cybersecurity.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You you golf right?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been hitting golf balls since I was like four years old.
1: Oh my yeah, god! It was a great way
0: for me to bond with uh, a lot of the men in my family. Yeah, who are also into golf. Uh huh. So I grew up playing golf.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. What is like your? I don't know much about golf either. Huh? I'm sorry, but like what? <laughs> what is your like score? Like you know, like the, the typical score I yeah, would get yeah, yeah, on yeah. a
0: on a round of eighteen holes. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I would say in the mid 80s. On a good day I'll be in the low eighties.
1: Oh. On a bad
0: day, I'll be in the high eighties or maybe ninety or the low nineties. Yeah.
1: yeah. But mm-hmm. isn't like under a hundred pretty good? Yeah. In the golf yeah. You're,
0: you're a decent golfer if you're hitting in the nineties. Yeah.
1: yeah. Dang. Mm-hmm. And you're in the mid eighties. Yeah. <laughs> or low eighties on a good day too. Like, man. Um, were you in a did I hear you were in a driving competition recently? For like oh. golf, for golf.
0: <laughs> um I mean it was a it was a golf outing that I was in maybe you know two weekends ago.
1: Yeah.
0: I was brought into a group of friends who went on this trip. So out of this group of friends, I'd only known maybe three or four of them prior. Uh-huh. And so they made uh they put together a bunch of money, they booked lodging and um four rounds of golf over Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And we made a, we made a tournament out of it. We all just got to have fun, and part of the tournament was a long drive competition.
1: Oh, and uh, I
0: was lucky enough to win it.
1: Really? Yeah, yeah. So
0: there was a prize for that. Um, and uh, was it a pin? It was not a pin. <laughs> it was actually a little bit better than a pin. Uh, it was a bottle of whiskey, actually. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: I'm not a whiskey drinker, but what what uh, kind of whiskey was it?
0: Or what uh, was the
1: name of it? I don't yes, know what... <laughs> the
0: name of it was. Umiki, and okay. it's a Japanese whiskey. And from what I can remember of reading the label, yeah, it's not. It's you know I didn't mean, finish the bottle yet. What I can remember, <laughs> it is made and cast from desalinated seawater and aged by the ocean side somewhere. Oh, so. Yeah, was, I was, you know, I was very happy to win that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that was the prize, actually.
1: Oh, so did, did you I, know there was a prize?
0: I didn't know there was a prize. Oh. I thought winning was the prize. right? <laughs> and so as we're all leaving to go home, one of the guys from the group comes over to my car, taps the window. He's like, here's your prize. And he hands me the bottle.
1: Oh, yeah. nice. How many yards did you hit it?
0: Um, That day I drove the ball 290 yards.
1: Dang. Do you know what second place, the second place person hit? Do you know what they hit?
0: Uh, probably around two hundred sixty yards. Okay, two hundred seventy wow. yards or so. Uh, like the way we measured it is not very sophisticated. Uh huh. Uh, the longest drive up to you know up to that point would take this you know yellow marker stick and just stick it into the ground. Uh huh. If you drove it past that stick, you get to move the stick to your ball.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And take a picture with the stick and proclaim yourself. The Uh current leader. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. How many people competed? Do you know?
0: So the group was 20 people. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you hit a long ball, but if it's not in the fairway, it doesn't count. So you have to drive it very far. And there is a little bit of an accuracy requirement as well. That's a typical long drive contest. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: What was that? Like, this wasn't conversation- um, topic of conversation recently of like the person who drives the longest in the world. Like, what was their record? Do you know? Do you know I who know I'm don't know off about? the
0: top of my head, but it might be closer to 400 yards.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you hit, you just hit 290. Mm-hmm.
0: And the Dang. the typical pro golfer will hit about a little over 300 yards. Okay. Ten, maybe 315 or so.
1: So you're up there if they're just over 300. I mean, I guess, I don't know, how hard is it to go up those like 10, 20, 30 more yards?
0: Hmm. If you were to, it's very easy to go from driving the ball 220 yards to driving it 260. And then mm-hmm. I would say getting it consistently 10 yards further gets um, that much more harder.
1: Yeah. Right? Like after 260? mm mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So you have to make some changes to your equipment or you actually just have to get stronger with conditioning. You know, a lot of these pro golfers, they train. They train very hard. They lift yeah, weights, yeah. medicine ball. Um, They have swing coaches to really optimize your swing and, you know, generate the most clubhead speed so that the ball goes a little bit further. Right. And also on target.
1: Mm-hmm. Dang. And you've been hitting since you were four. Did you play in high school and college?
0: So, like on the team? Yeah, I was on my high school's golf team, and in senior year, I was captain. Okay. I did not play in college. Uh, I didn't want to play in college. I think I'd rather at that time I would rather just be focusing on studies. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I were, if I was able to get into a college, it would be, you know, a small school somewhere very far from home without an aerospace program. So Mm -hmm. I, I would have to be. I'll be forced into making a choice between playing golf and studying what I wanted to study.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Gotcha. Oh, my gosh. I don't know about you guys, but I definitely learned a lot more about Ryan today, (laughs) (laughs) which is, like, it's surprising because, you know, I thought I knew at least some of his background and upbringing and all that being in the same CG as him, but... Mm -hmm. It was for sure not. I was (laughs) surprised by all these things that he was so involved in and his, like, faith journey and all that. And so kind of bringing it back around to um, your faith journey, Mm -hmm. um, who would you consider someone at CCPC that helped you um, and influenced you in your spiritual walk?
0: Mm. It would be the men from men's ministry. Hmm. So, and also maybe a CG leader. Um, my very first, the leader of the very first CGI I attended at Christ Central was uh was Edwin, Edwin Yoon. Oh yeah. And it was just through his continual presence, just continued faithful service that I could, uh, you know, continue to attend church. Yeah, yeah. Happily. Yeah. Uh, have a little bit more faith and trust in the way that God cares for His church, mm-hmm. and. In the men's ministry, uh, it would be Key, mm-hmm. Elder Key. Yeah. And he also was an example of continued faithful service, oftentimes with a smile. Yeah. You know? And he was a very encouraging uh, older man in my life mm-hmm. to always uh, be around there, uh, ask how I'm doing. He's always happy to pray for me. And um, even as we would work together on things like holiday basket, you know, he would always be there as a as someone to reassure me, as someone to encourage me to serve.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. We're coming up to the end of our session here. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very excited for you. I'm glad you got your, you know, well-needed rest (laughs) uh, from your serving as a deacon. I'm super excited to see you coming back serving strong in this upcoming ministry year and that's a wrap thank you listeners of B-Sides we'll see you next week